Our God has been so wild lately. He doesn't seem to listen. He doesn't obey my commands, and we can't even bribe him with trees. He's gotten so out of hand, he may even have to be put down. God is not the problem here. The problem is the people who want to be the leader of the pack. We reintroduce God. We retrain people. You're listening to The God Whisperers. Hey, welcome to The God Whispers. I'm Craig D'Onofrio. And I'm Bill Swirla. Who's cringing because apparently I was quite loud there. It <laughs> <laughs> just woke me up. I was taking so, a little oh. nap. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, today we're supposed to be talking about Article 3 of the Augsburg Confession and possibly, if you're extra special good out there, we'll get to Article 4. Well, we might, we might introduce Article 4 in passing. Now, Article 4, if you remember, is the one on which the church stands or falls. So stay tuned for that. That's going to be big stuff. Uh, if you want to uh, call us and leave a message on the God Whispers hotline, you can call 626-593-7713 or Manly Doctors 13. That's hard to go wrong with the Manly Doctors 13. We would love that. We do. We're big fans of Manly Doctors it, 13. It, it took quite a bit of effort to try to figure out what those numbers stood for. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't you run that through some kind yeah, of a thing on, there online? Yeah, there are actually a, a couple of sites online where you can put in your number and see what it spells. <laughs> and now that you mentioned that, I'm obsessing over my cell phone. I wonder if it spells something. But you, I'm I'll, sure I'll you, wait until you, after. You can find something. Yeah. Uh, if you want to email us, what do they do, Bill? They're just out of luck. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Godwhispers at gmail.com. Gmail. 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 Love Gmail. And if you want to find us on the internet, as if you didn't already. W- <laughs> www.godwhispers.com. And also at uh, where we tweet occasionally. That's at right. What a, what a waste of space that is. <laughs> 140 characters of drivel. Uh, apparently Obama was quite uh, quite addicted to that during his campaign, but he, he had to give it up for the presidency. Yeah, he needs to give up a lot more for the presidency, <laughs> I think. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're at God Whispers, or, or yeah, I don't know what it is. It's twitter.com backslash God Whispers will get you there. That's right. And I am also Twittering, apparently, but I haven't put anything up I, I think the first day <laughs> i signed minute. up i put up something and then i don't know you're so. twittering and you don't know it, it I, oh what on god no, I, I signed up no 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 personally i signed up for twitter <laughs> about three months ago and i it was i got caught up in the moment i don't know Man, and, and i think i put up one or two things and then i I don't know. I, I don't know how to use it i, I saw phone. a good thing that the uh, I, I think somebody wrote it in a comment blog is what I've been thinking about this week. Okay, Facebook, what I'm thinking about today. Uh, Twitter, I just made a poopy. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is the biggest flipping waste of time I've ever seen. <laughs> I don't know why anyone would really get that involved with that but i know people are and and i don't know who though i ask kids and the kids say oh we're we're way past twitter yeah i mean what i had a coke (laughs) who cares we have to share in each other's experiences i just probably sit around thinking of stupid stuff to put up you know it occurs to me i I think we may be at this uh, i'm a big fan of neil postman and i think neil postman ought to be read about 
once a year. Amusing ourselves to death. That's one. That, that's yeah. the effect of television. Uh-huh. And, uh, and although we, we are gradually, I think, moving into the post-television age, although using your computer as a television is, is, is just the same thing. It's just how you get the signal. Hulu that's is kind of cool. Hulu. You know, I discovered, uh, thanks to our endless, bottomless pit of a thread, uh, we are oh, up to 18 million <laughs> posts today. A, a way to uh, a, a way to watch hockey games uh, when I don't have cable. The, mm. the, there's actually a, there's there's actually a way. It's called UStream or something. Okay. <laughs> I know what you're thinking, but it, it has nothing to do with, you know, kidneys and things like that. It's, it's, <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's a urology website. No, uh, Ustream, it, it's, uh, it, but I was watching a little bit of the, the Red Wings hockey game on it uh, the other night. And it was really, the, the picture was remarkably good. Hmm. And there's all kinds, there's a whole chat tweet twitter thing going on on the side that you just ignore and and i mean the screen is just chock full of advertising right and you just tune it out i think that's one of the things that one of the effects technology is having is our ability to not see anything well one of the things that's really cool is on my iphone um, paul and i share season tickets with my brother we bought i don't know a dozen angels games oh angels yeah oh cool we bought about a dozen angels games off my brother and so we'll sit there and i have mlb.com going on my iphone so i can use it like a radio and listen to the broadcast or i can catch the video highlights of the game Right after they happen. Now that's so kind, I can, I can now sit that's there at the game cool. and watch what just happened. Yeah, yeah. Now that's you can cool. you can do that. Uh, you're using your your cell phone service, right? right? Okay, yeah. yeah. I, I don't have. I have the most basic of cell phone. Depending services. on where I'm sitting at Anaheim Stadium, if, if <laughs> well, if we're in our regular seats up high, I get a cell. But uh, I was a few weeks ago. This was really cool. We were walking into the game. And I got on my angel's hat and my angel shirt, and this cop grabs me. He goes, I'm, I'm like, uh-oh. And he says, you got tickets? I, yeah. I'm like, what is this, cop scalping tickets or what the heck? He goes, he goes are they field level? Or, or I said, no, they're nosebleeders up in the view level. He goes, here, take these. And they were field level tickets. Somebody apparently walked up to the cop and said, I've got two extra tickets. Find someone wearing angel paraphernalia and give it to them. Oh, him. no <laughs> kidding. <laughs> so we got Way upgraded, you know. We're down on the field level, but I couldn't get a cell down there. I couldn't you know, you could keep up on my MLB.com. <laughs> well, so. you have to watch down there at that field level because oh yeah, that's you get where, drilled. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's like I went to a hockey game with a friend of mine, and and he had these these really good. These were like eleventh row seats, center yeah. ice, and you have to pay attention to what's going on because there's no there's no protective net there. There's the glass. But you're up high enough that you can get a screamer coming yes. your way. In I was fact, about to say 11th row is that high enough for the puck to clear it, the glass yes, and get you? Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> and and uh, in fact, uh, across on the other side of the stadium, uh, somebody did get drilled by Ooh. a puck, and and you know they're being helped out by medical personnel. But it's just all in a night's worth of hockey. But now uh, I enjoy hockey, but you're you're a much bigger fan than I am. Love hockey. I'm told that they put those pucks, which are basically rubber like a tire vulcanized rubber right mm-hmm. and but they put them in the deep freeze before the game they freeze so them down really really hard and slick well no, it's so they're slick yeah it, it, otherwise otherwise they'd kind of they'd stick on the they want they want them to really move uh because what happens if you take a room temperature puck and you put it takes a while for it to chill down to ice temperature uh, so it just stick 
Yeah, well, it's just, it's not going to glide. And and I mean, these guys are so fast, especially with passing. They rely on they rely on they're they're making assumptions about how fast the puck is going to go, mm-hmm. and and it would throw the timing of the game totally off if that thing just just had a little friction under it. So yeah, they they freeze them down. They're kept in a in a little mini freezer. I think they have like twenty five. No, they have more than twenty five pucks, but they have they have mice down ready to go. Yeah, from what I understand, though, it takes it from being as hard as a rubber mallet to as hard as a rock. Yeah, it's basically a big flat ride right. and and when it hits you there's stitches involved almost inevitably <laughs> uh, and uh, the guy that i went with is a member of my congregation all huge hockey fan but he says yeah the great thing when you get hit by a puck is is that uh, you know they take you down and and the trainer kind of looks at you and stuff like that and you get lots of free paraphernalia cool. you know you get a signed stick and a jersey and and, and the, then this form that says you won't sue them <laughs> <laughs> i thought you were going to say the great thing about getting hit with a puck is you'll never remember it oh you said no totally totally clueless but uh, oh, hockey's a great game i i used to when i was a kid i i played uh i never played formally but but i played on on frozen we they'd make um you know frozen puddles at the park and uh, it, if it stayed cold enough long enough uh you, you could have some pretty decent ice and i always and, wanted to play hockey but i can't skate to save my life yeah yeah i was Is pretty it, i was pretty good on skates when i was a kid kind of like happy gilmore if you and if i, you I, I could that. skate backwards too and, and that's the key the, the the kids who could skate backwards always play defense because ah. because you have to be able to skate backwards and there you go. i could skate backwards as fast as i could skate forward which wasn't terribly fast but <laughs> i couldn't even ride a bike without holding on so you know i was never one of those guys that could just i got a little Nephew, I got a little nephew who uh, he, he loves he he loves sports and he really loves hockey. In fact, I was trying to get him to do a podcast on sports because the kid is just he's 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 just all sports all the time. But <laughs> but but he plays any he and he's 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 pretty athletic too. He has the he has one of the key traits that athletes need, and that is he's impervious to pain. Mm. So I, I've seen him take headlong tumbles in the driveway on his rollerblades, and he'll just you know dust himself off and. <laughs> He's just bleeding, but he's back up. He's in the game again. I was the kid that would lay there and cry, and then if no one was paying attention, then I get up and yeah, okay, whatever. Yeah, well, you know, I have, that was give me my attention. Problem. Give me attention. I, and then I yeah. don't. I don't like pain. I avoid pain at all costs, and and I I don't like making a fool of myself. And and those are the two. Those are two very negative traits for sports. You, you have to be willing to dive right in there, and just totally just crack your head open and just come in for more. And but my my little nephew loves he loves any position that involves gear mm. so so he, he he does goalie in hockey and and he does catcher in baseball and and he just loves being encrusted with large quantities of gear <laughs> and uh yeah even if you go to go and play catch with him in the driveway he's got to gear up for it you know so you gotta love that the kid's just destined to do scuba diving <laughs> which is it's all gear gear That's intensive a, yeah, it's all about the gear yeah yeah that's good. So we're going to talk. What else are we going to talk about here? <laughs> I guess, you know what? If, if we're going to actually try to get to three and four today, we well, should no, probably we're, get we, into we, it. We need, to get, we need to talk about three. Three is an important, and, and we should keep track of the order of things. So, you know, Article 1 is God, and Article 2, original sin. You know, we just cut right to the chase. Right. There's not a lot of speculative theology going on here. And Article 3, equally, right to the chase, Christ. Right. You know, so and, and I think the order is important. We start with God, move right to the problem. The problem is sin. The problem is our, you know, it's our our fall into sin and all the effects of sin in this world. And then uh, Article Three deals with the solution. the the only The only solution to this dilemma of original sin and that is Christ. 
And so uh, reading from, what am I reading? Oh, no, actually, that's the uh, the apology. Hang on. Do you have it in front of you? Oh, yeah. I don't know if it's the same as your tapper. Doesn't matter. Okay. Also, they teach, that they being the Lutherans, that the word that is the Son of God did assume the human nature of the womb in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary, so that there are two natures, the divine and the human, inseparably enjoined in one person, one Christ, true God and true man, who was born of the Virgin Mary, truly suffered, was crucified, dead, buried, dead and buried, that he might reconcile the Father unto us and be a sacrifice not only for original guilt, but also for all actual sins of men. He also descended into hell and truly rose again the third day. Afterward, he ascended into heaven that he might sit on the right hand of the Father and forever reign and have dominion over all creatures and sanctify them that believe in him by sending the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit, depending on how you want to say that, into their hearts to rule, comfort, and quicken them and to defend them against the devil and the power of sin. The same Christ shall openly come again to judge the quick and the dead, etc., according to the Apostles' Creed. I like the etc. Etc. Where did the etc. come et cetera, from? Et cetera, et cetera. Oh, yeah, the same Christ will openly come again and judge the living and the dead, etc. I think it just means it's it's been following the Apostles' Creed, and so it just kind of tails off. The, yeah, we'll, we'll get into eschatology later. And uh, so forth. <laughs> uh, this this article has nothing controversial in it as far as the confessors were concerned. And, and, yeah, in the, in the confutation, nobody really, I don't think, blustered about this one at all, did no, they? No, they really can't. Although there are a couple of little hidden, hidden uh, nuggets in here that they just chose to overlook. Uh, one of them being, of course, that uh, that Christ, uh, that that his is a sacrifice not only for original sin, but also for all other sins and also to propitiate God's wrath. So you have a number of things going on there. Uh, you know, there's, it's kind of an advanced criticism of the medieval understanding of the mass as a sacrifice for sin. Hmm. And and here, you know, they point out that this this one time, once for all sacrifice accomplishes everything. It 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 accounts for original sin, it accounts for all other sins, and it also placates the wrath of God against our sins. So so there's no need for any other sacrifice. Uh, so I think they're anticipating here a little bit something of the um, of the sacrifice of the mass later. Uh, here we also find that uh, the idea that Christ is fully man and fully God at the same time pretty well fleshed out, and that comes out in the creeds also. I don't think that that was actually a bone of contention with the Roman Catholics at all, was there? No, no, no. no. In fact, uh, you know, people have pointed out that, that what's expressed here is is pure Chalcedonian Christianity right. yeah. or Christology. Uh, you know, Chalcedon... Dealt with, we talked about this in, when we talked about the second article. Chalcedon dealt with the two natures in terms of things negative. It, it said what it wasn't. So Christ was true God and true man without confusion, change, separation, or division. But uh, never really stated positively how that works because uh, I don't think you can. It's hmm. one of those paradoxes that one person is fully one thing and another thing, true God and true man. Yeah, and uh, and so we just confess it that that uh, there are two natures, divine and human, inseparably united in one person, 
uh, as one Christ, true God and true man. So, so you have the two natures of Christ in one person, and and we're just we're just basically using old dogmatic formulae. A formulae. These these are just things that have been bumping around the church for centuries, and so nothing new here, really. Do you think that some of the uh, articles of the Augsburg Confession, like this one, that are in agreement with the Roman Catholics and and whatnot, do you think that they they kind of stress these also to show, hey, you know what, we are Christian here, we are part of the Catholic, the Church Catholic here. And uh, maybe there is some ground for us to come to uh, uh, understanding each other and, and maybe coping with each other. Well, these first 12 articles really all intend to be that. Yeah. In fact, if you read very, very carefully between the lines, you, you'll read Melanchthon intentionally not pushing on certain things, uh, at least early on, because we are trying to be intentionally as Western Catholic as possible, mm-hmm. assuring the emperor this is not some kind of wild hair sect or some kind of weird uh, new version of Christianity, but, but you know, we're just basic, basically faithful sons and daughters of the church. And, and, uh, and uh, yeah, I, th- I think there's, a, there's really an intentional, uh, and it, it's very intentional to, to sound as historically Catholic as possible, Catholic in the universal sense of that word. I can't tell you how bonkers it makes me when I hear Roman Catholic historians say, well, when Luther broke away from the Roman Catholic Church <laughs> or when he split away or when he, you know, stuck his finger up at the Pope or, you know, Luther never did that. He didn't, he, he wanted to stay. He wanted to reform the church. He didn't want to leave it. And, and he, he suffered a lot of pains over this well yeah and it's it's common it's a commonplace in sort of catholic protestant relations to go back and talk about luther breaking off and starting a new church yeah when when in fact uh, luther was excommunicated along with those uh the you know these so-called evangelicals mm-hmm. that is those those who were followers of luther were were and his his so-called teaching uh were excommunicated and uh that kind of leaves you no choice at that point yeah you know when you're kicked out you you either relent and say we were wrong you're right and and you go back or or you carry on, uh, but they never really—they never really had the sense of starting new churches. Mm-hmm. They were simply carrying on uh, what they had always been doing with with a gospel, Christ-centered way of looking at things. And when Luther was in exile, basically in hiding, uh, he was abducted and sent to the Wartburg Castle, and uh, there he did some wonderful stuff, uh, making a German Bible and everything. But uh, he got word that Karlstad was causing all sorts of trouble. He was going too far back in Wittenberg and and tearing up the place, basically. And and Luther said, enough is enough. I have to go back and tell him to stop being so uncatholic about all this stuff, basically. (laughs) Yeah, there's there's a classic set of sermons, I believe the year is 1521. Um, where that he preaches at Wittenberg after coming out of hiding during the week of Invocavit in Lent, where on a series of weekday sermons, he basically uh, kind of goes over the Reformation uh, agenda and takes to task Karlstadt for pushing the Reformation way too fast, way too far, without any regard for the gospel. And that's his real big point, is that, is that uh, whatever you do, you do it for the sake of the gospel, not just to, not just to shake your fist at the Pope. Right, right. And so you can be right in all the wrong ways. 
Well, I would say which, that... Which is something we still haven't learned today. Yeah, isn't that right? I, I would say that Karlstad probably went further in, in a few months there than we've gone in the last 500 years from uh, the, the Catholic traditions that we embrace. And, uh, you know, he was preaching without vestments and all sorts of crazy stuff. Oh, he'd probably be right at home today in a lot of so-called Lutheran churches. No comment. (laughs) (laughs) I've heard this before. I've heard some people say, you know, what what passes off as worship today in the Lutheran church would make somebody like Thomas Minzer proud. Yeah. Uh, Because it really really has the... the, the feel of the radical reformation now here's the here's here's where the point of contention is is that i think people would argue that well it's the the point was just don't go too fast not don't go there just don't go there too fast and and so so you know they would say that we're perfectly in the spirit of lutheran uh of luther having waited some 400 some years <laughs> before we pulled this off you know um mm. I did. I'm sure you've seen the uh, most recent Luther movie. It's a few years old now, and uh, there are scenes in there where they have uh, fines as portraying Luther, and he's wandering up and down the aisle preaching. And I, I, when I saw that, I, I was I was just kind of thinking, I don't think Luther would have done that. I think he would have stayed in the pulpit and and uh, kept to the traditions, and not for the sake of it being evil necessarily, but this is. This is based on a firm reasoning why we do these things. And also, I don't want to upset the people to the point where they'll leave the church altogether and and, uh, say that's no longer the church or anything like that. Mm. I don't know. You think Luther would have roamed the aisles and preached? Yeah, they have them coming out of the pulpit, yeah. don't they? In a chasuble, in an old fiddleback chasuble, which yeah. is kind of—it's just just kind of boggles the mind. Uh, the the old Durer woodcuts always have him quite prominently in the mm-hmm. pulpit. Um, I can't imagine that for a variety of reasons. The the pulpit uh, made you visible; it was right. quite elevated, uh, and and it made you audible. You didn't have microphones. Right. Uh, roaming around the floor of a cathedral is different than having yourself physically elevated. Uh, that that makes you audible as well. You're kind of in a different uh, acoustical stream than sure, on the yeah. floor. Uh, and I just don't see it. They, they, they ceremonially they they were they were carrying on the same old ceremonies mm-hmm. as before. Even some things that weren't strictly speaking necessary. But but they they retain those things anyway. So no, I don't see that. I, I think I think that's <laughs> that betrays the uh, the people who are writing and producing the thing. Yeah. And, and gee, let's have Luther step out of the pulpit because that would be really cool. They they what, took a few was, liberties in that movie, but it, it was overall pretty good. It was decent. I, the it old was, black and white though. I love that one. Well, the old black and white has better theology. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the new one has kind of it's a little bit more period. I think I think it captures the the sort of the sights, sounds, and and if it could, the smells of of, <laughs> uh, of medieval life uh, much better. Uh, but you know, Luther movies are Luther movies. They they're never going to capture the the essence of the thing necessarily. Um, this article also has has some some interesting. There's just some some interesting little nuances. Um, that first sentence that uh, it says our ch- our churches also teach that the word that is the Son of God uh, that we come we come right out uh, with this thing is referring to Christ uh, first and foremost as the Word, mm-hmm. um, and and so 
you already have kind of this, this Lutheran accent. We understand our whole doctrine of the word, including the doctrine of the scriptures, is Christ-centered. It, it begins with Christ who is the word incarnate and then kind of moves out from there. And so, so uh, in, in, in our Christological article, we identify Christ as, as the word in the flesh, the, the word who took on or assumed man's nature in the womb of Mary. Now, the Roman Catholics are very sacramental, like we are. Do, would they not see Christ as, as the word incarnate who uh, comes to us through the sacraments as well as, as the preached word? Or, or would they just kind of, would it kind of bounce over their heads or, or what? I, you know, I don't know. I, I, I don't think it's, it's, it's a particularly, uh, shall we say, Catholic way of saying it. They wouldn't deny that. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing un-Catholic about that. But... I think uh, Luther especially, and, and maybe it's his Augustinian background or, or whatever, but, but his whole understanding of the sacraments is, is a word understanding. What makes the sacrament what it is? The word of Christ. Right. You know? Oh, yeah. And the Roman Catholics had their ex opera operato understanding of things. Well, there's a lot of... Wing the, the thing. Yeah, there's a lot of things that, that are thrown in and complicating things uh, in, in terms of the power inherent in the priest, mm-hmm. uh, the, the manner in which a sacrament is effective uh, or valid and not effective or however you know want to look at it and with luther he peels back all those layers and just says look what's the what's the what's the core essence of any sacramental act of god it's the word and 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 it is so i believe because christ is the word you know you have to understand that first that that and john that's a radical statement in john one in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god because uh, he's taking you all the, ba- all the way back to Genesis, and he's pointing at the first spoken act, and he says, that's Christ. He's identifying creation with Christ. He's identifying Christ as creator, the active agent of creation. And so he's not a latecomer on the scene, but he's, he is um, the person that has been intimately involved with the creation literally since day one. Sounds good to me. <laughs> great, great follow-up. I got, I got a couple more tidbits. I'm, I'm over here reading something, and uh, yeah, all of a right. sudden you stop talking. That's, I don't know that, what to well, do now. Yeah, that, that's to keep you on your toes. Uh, <laughs> by the way, I want to, I want to uh, refer uh, people while we're tracking through the Augsburg Confession to a really good website that Paul McCain put together. Uh, about three years ago, and he's still adding to it slowly, and he's in the small called articles. You know, McCain is like totally devoted to the Book of Concord, uh, principally because he sells a version of it, but the, <laughs> uh, but he has a, a great website. It, it's called uh, Book of Concord, all run together, bookofconcord.blogspot.com. Uh, and what it is, the, the title of it is Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions. And uh, I used to participate on this pretty regularly. In fact, I wrote the, uh, the article on Article 3 uh, that I'm looking at right now. But, but it's a, a, um, an article-by-article article treatment of the Augsburg Confession together with the Apology. And then the other confessional writings as well. As I said, he's up to the small called articles. And you have to kind of dig around the archives to find it. Uh, the one I'm looking at for this article was dated February 8th, 2007. So it was a couple of years ago uh, that we wrote this. But uh, we just, a bunch of us just wrote uh, pieces, commenting, and then people would, would uh, write in and comment. There'd be some interesting discussion about, uh, about the various articles. So um, I recommend that as a kind of a good 
kind of ongoing discussion on the Book of Concord. Again, that's bookofconcord.blogspot.com. But uh, in this, I, I noted a couple of things. The, the language is, is interesting. Uh, Melanchthon uses the word assumed, that, um, that the Son of God uh, assumed man's human nature in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And uh, we're going to have to pick that up in the second half. Yeah, we've that, unless you're calling time out for uh, for uh, uh, the purposes of uh, doing a play on the sidelines. <laughs> God whispers, pee pee break. We'll see you later. Oh, oh, we'll yep, be right back. Right. Bye. I'm Craig Denofrio. I'm Bill Swirla. I, I'm going to tell. You're going to tell on I'm us? I'm going to tell. Okay, here we, we go. We started recording Dumb the moment. second session, and, and we've got the little digital recorder going. <laughs> and we're about four minutes into the session, and I look down, and I see that thing blinking. And I, I say, Bill, is, is that thing recording? Because we, I, I got to tell you, the theology that was going out at that time, earth-shattering. <laughs> I mean, you... Hey, you want to talk about the answers to the universe, the yeah. questions of the universe. We just solved every theological and, problem. And ever. you missed it. You yeah. missed it because we weren't actually recording. And not having recorded it, we can't remember no, what we, we said. Yeah, we can never recapture the <laughs> so moment. It's gone. So, it's just lost. <laughs> so anyway, we, we're, we're back. We're, we're back our, from our bathroom break. Our, and as I said, when I thought we were recording, Swirly called me juvenile. And you are. Potty break or pee-pee break, whatever it was. <laughs> right. Anyway. Uh, you were in the middle of quoting something with some fancy Latin and everything else there. Uh, yes, there we go. Yeah, that's that's where we were. I, I, I was reveling in. Oh, you, you also mentioned uh, the the, <laughs> the the website. Uh, yeah, we can go there too. Concordia Lutheran Confessions. Did, uh, that's I, that. Thanks. Uh, yeah. th- that's that's important because I, I don't want to lose that as we try to backtrack this theological right. profundity. But but uh, uh, there is a, a really good uh, website for kind of a, a law, an ongoing commentary discussion on the Book of Concord. And that's to be found at uh, Book of Concord, all run together, bookofconcord.blogspot.com. Uh, and what this is, is Paul McCain, about three years ago, started uh, this, this website. It's entitled Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions. You know, and, and McCain's got a dog in the hunt since he sells... Concordia. He sells that that reader's edition of which, the, by the way, you can pick up at NewReformationPress.com. <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, McCain McCain uh, uh, started this, and and it, it uh, he enlisted the help of a bunch of us. He's still carrying it on. We flaked out on him a long time ago because, like all things on the internet, you lose interest after a while. But but he's he's up. He's into the small called articles now and still at it. But what it is is uh, there's a little short piece on each article, and then people would write in and comment. And there's sometimes some very good commentary discussion. But I, I think it's a good little resource for just uh, what, what would amount to a, a popular and contemporary commentary on uh, the topics of, of the Lutheran confessions, and uh, in this case, the Augsburg Confession. The one we're talking about here, you have to dig through the archives, but it's dated back, let's see, I have to go back to the top here, uh, Thursday, February 8th, 2007. So uh, we, we, started, we started this back in 2007 in February, and uh, 
I see round table. There's one on original sin. It's roughly about one every two or three weeks or so. Uh, as I recall, we just let the comments run until people stopped commenting. Then we'd start another article. You have to hit the older post button about six times before you get it. I've, I've been doing it. I finally got to it. Or, or just go to 2007. They, they are lumped in. that, too. They are, they are lumped by, by years. But uh, one of the things that I wrote, I actually wrote the little piece here on the um, – on Article Three, and and just made some some notes uh, regarding first of all that that uh, Christ is referred to as the Word, uh, which we talked about. But then this this idea that uh, that the Word assumed our human nature uh, in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Uh, that uh, that term assumed is uh, reflective of the Athanasian Creed. Uh, which uh, reads, and you wanted to hear it in Latin, so we'll do it again yeah, so we don't fancy. miss it. Uh, it's, it's, fancy. it's line 33 from the Athanasian Creed. Unus autem non conversiona divinitatis incarna, sed assumptiona humanitatis in Deo. You know it's true because it's in Latin. Yes, so one, not by the conversion of the divine into flesh, that is, God uh, was not turned into man, uh, but by the assumption of the humanity into God. So the word became flesh, and in so doing, uh, uh, humanity is assumed into God. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that it's interesting that as we look at Article 3, I'm thinking, uh, well, of course we believe that. It's, it's part of the creed, but... Uh, we need to consider why the creeds were written and what the controversies were about behind them and that sort of thing. And uh, we had the problem of Arianism and Nestorianism and Eutychianism and all these other isms where they're getting who Jesus is wrong. They they either have him adopted into the Godhead because he's a really great guy or he's half God and half man. Uh, or, you know, there, there are all sorts of problems that have arisen. And, and here... The confessors are saying, yes, we're, we're with you. Well, we're, yeah, well, when, whenever you have a paradox, uh, one person, two natures, one Christ, truly God, truly man, fully one, fully the other, you're going to have, you're going to have a problem. Now, try to wrap your mind around it. You can't. Right. Uh, you can only state it and then you try to kind of flesh out what, what it means, but you can't really explain it. And uh, that's the problem is most of these so-called heresies are, are just, they are attempts to either conserve one, protect the other, try to explain it, and something goes wrong. It's, it's this sort of thing that our, our old teacher, Dr. Nagel, would say to confess Christianity is often confessing mathematical nonsense. Because <laughs> you have 200%. Yes. You know? yeah, yeah. How can you be 100% of one thing and 100% of the other thing and, and not have – it's just something is shorted no, out it, there. Math doesn't work, you know. And if our sins are infinite and Christ is more infinite, you know <laughs> – it's, now the infinity in and of itself doesn't make a lick of sense. But, the the modern rationalist goes and says, "Well, the, if if that is a mathematical nonsense, then it is just that nonsense and should not be believed." Well, enjoy hell. <laughs> well, yeah, nice, nice response. <laughs> Whereas the 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 nature of this is, is another way of looking at it is look uh, the the. The God that fits inside of your logical presuppositions is is not is not big enough to be God. Uh, when when 
when the word becomes flesh, when God takes on our humanity, uh, this, is, this is a singular event. The, nothing else like this has ever occurred. And so we expect uh, not only our language, but we expect our presuppositions to be stretched to the breaking point on this one. And they are. Mm. They are, and and so, and we don't try to explain it either. We just we just say that that uh, these two are joined together. Uh, they are inseparably conjoined. It says in the unity of His person, one Christ, true God and true man. And uh, we're following Chalcedon, which said, you know, without separation, without change, without uh, uh, division, and without uh, I'm missing one of them now. I did it last time. Without what is it? Without change, without separation, without division, without confusion. Confusion, yeah. And and so we're we're and lurking in the background of this yeah. is the whole discussion with the Swiss in 1528 in Swingley. Mm-hmm. And the whole idea that if Christ is true God and true man inseparably joined together as one person, then you can't be having his, his body and blood, his humanity, locked up in heaven somewhere and having the divine Christ all over the place uh, omnipresent, that where, where the divinity is there, the humanity is. Well, and Zwingli wasn't the only one who bought that either. Uh, our Calvinist friends tend to have a... Um, spiritual reception of christ in the lord's supper but we ascend to heaven spiritually if you're elect and receive uh christ in his body and blood in a mystical way there and then you descend back to earth because christ is uh at the right hand of god in heaven and so uh he can't come to you because he's locally there and then you get in this local and illocal modes of presence and, and next thing you know you're just banging your head against the wall it just leaves you confused in a lot of ways I, I i'm not i wouldn't be so quick to just lump all of so-called calvinism into that uh the calvin calvin and calvinism deals with a lot of categories and so you, you have to you have to get a clear definition of the categories well i'm not going to name names but there are some of the leading calvinist thinkers out there who are my friends and uh that's the way that they've told you have, me you about have it. friends who think <laughs> that's right you're not my friend that's, i never claim to think i just spout <laughs> um all i'm saying is I, I i'm not sure i i have a i have a very swingley is easy to understand yeah because swingley is basically he deals in metaphor the whole the whole concept of christ as being being too two natures in one person for swingley is just a big figure of speech um, but for Calvinism, it's it's much more subtle because because in Calvinism, you you, you do have a kind of a, a maybe Platonic Neoplatonic understanding where you have the spiritual and the material, but they're not separated. If you do if you do this properly, they 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 need not be separated. Hmm. They are just two different planes of existence, if you will. So you know, there's there are there are points points where. I think you can choose to to interpret these things badly or well. I just think it's 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 imposing a ph- philosophical construct on this. Okay, you know, and it's just it's it's imposing Platonic distinctions where we ought to just confess the isness of uh, whether it's the sacrament or of Christ Himself. It is kind of a litmus test. Is you know, do you are you going to buy into this idea that you have uh, have a unique person who is fully human and fully God at the same time, and you can't separate those two? He's not God in Bakersfield and man in Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> <laughs> you know. 
Well, ultimately, uh, the third article and the creeds, for that matter, give us great comfort because if Christ is fully human, then he's fully one of us. And what he has done is certainly for us and not just for uh, those who are more godly uh, than human or anything like that. If he's half man and half God, we can't be really sure that he's fully for us. But since he's fully man and fully God, we can be sure that as being fully man, his atonement is certainly for mankind. And being fully God, it's certainly great enough to be for all of mankind. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good way of, of, of looking at the both and. That if he's, if he's only a man, then, then he is at best simply a representative man. Mm-hmm. So his atonement is symbolic. He stands for the world. Um, his death is basically a solitary human death. Um, if he's fully God, then you have you have uh, you, you've you've elevated it to God-sized proportions now, and so that is literally the death of God on the cross, right? And and uh, and it is literally um, God who takes up our humanity to do our humanity properly, to do justice to our humanity, and um, you know we talked about in the the, the article prior. Uh, Adam, in one person, Adam embodied all of humanity and took it into sin. And so now in this one person, Christ, who embodies all of humanity, he takes all of humanity into the glory of God. Hmm. And so he is second Adam. He's the new head of humanity. Yeah. Our, uh, our confession also talks about you know, his work, that he, he suffered, he was buried to be a sacrifice for three things. For original sin... So he is, he is the undoing of Adam's sin for all other sins. So he, this, this is, this is, well, I'll, I'll go, for all other sins and also to propitiate God's wrath, which is kind of, um, that, that's more of a medieval way of looking at the atonement. You know, there are many ways to look at the atonement. The one is that, that, is, that Christ paid the, the, the penalty or Christ, uh, God is angry and Christ's sacrifice uh, appeases God's wrath. It's kind of an unpopular one today. People don't like that one today. The notion that God is angry and his anger needs to be appeased by sacrifice and so his son is offered. It, it's, uh, you know, if you preach it in those blunt terms, that's hard to hear today. Well, Luther was terrified by a lot of this sort of thing before he came to an understanding of the gospel. If God is this way with his own son, what's he going to do to me? Right. You know, and uh, yeah, I think that's what that kind of thinking can where it can land you or or you have you know god as as the abusive parent you know he beats the crap out of his son and so then decides not to beat the crap out of you (laughs) (laughs) but but i think if you understand god's wrath as god's justice under the law and so it's really not god that's our enemy so much as the law that has made us enemy Hmm. You know, that's where Paul comes in, where he talks about it's, it's, it's the law that amplifies sin. It's the law that makes sin utterly sinful. It's the law that actually kills us. It works death in the sinner. So that the ultimate enemy is God's law, which, which is, is basically preaching us to our death. And, and Christ takes on the law. And so he, takes, he does the law perfectly, and he dies under the law perfectly. So we wouldn't stand under the accusations of the law. Exactly. So, so yeah. basically, he fulfills the law actively and passively. Well, I, I like to say also, a price must be paid for the crime. And, you know, in this, God is willing 
to have Christ pay the price that we deserve to pay. Uh, and so he, the, the death penalty is taken for us on this. Yeah, and, and God's word is, is uh, against sin is, is solid. That he, you know, he told Adam, on the day you eat of this, you will die. Uh, he he put a death sentence on right. that on that act, and and just as God is no abusive parent in heaven, He's no permissive parent in heaven too, who doesn't takes back. Oh, I didn't really mean it. Yeah, you know, I, you I, know I, if you do this, you're going to time out for the rest of your life. Oh no, I I didn't mean that. Yeah, it's okay. You know, God's not God doesn't. When He says you will die, you will die. I'd like to point out also that if God is truly perfect, He can't allow imperfection. Perfection must be met. Or that would make him less than perfect. <laughs> if, okay. he, if he allowed imperfection, my mind doesn't deal. My mind doesn't deal with that kind of stuff terribly well. But <laughs> go ahead, please. Well, if he allowed imperfection in his kingdom, then his kingdom would be imperfect. How's that? I'm never comfortable around the word perfect. So Christ wasn't perfect. Perfect is See, kind I went of there. That was bad. That per, was perfect. Perfect is is kind of it's uh, Hebrews uses it, but Hebrews is very Platonic too. Wow. Uh, it has Platonic overtones that 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 make me nervous. When I get to heaven, I'm going to tell the author of Hebrews that you said that. Yeah, if you know who he is, I'll ask. <laughs> Good Don't luck. Worry, I'll ask. That'll be we'll one of the, that'll be one of the mysteries revealed. Uh, Christ is sinless, <laughs> and and it, as such, he he fulfills the law. Uh, to its its least stroke of the pen, and and also takes on the punishments that the law imposes. God does not take back His word, mm-hmm. and and I think that's the key is is that this isn't God being mean, this is God being just, right? Yeah, and God being just for us is not good news. <laughs> it's not good news that He's sovereign, and it's not good news that He's just. It's good news that He's merciful. And that he's forgiving and that he has chosen to see us through his son and not as our sins deserve. That's, that's the good news. Well, it's also good to know that Christ is the one who justifies us. And that's what we're confessing here in this part of the, the creed slash uh, article three. So you, you have Christ's sacrifice being not only for original sin, but that but also for all other sins. And that's all inclusive. See, this is objective justification. This, this, this article is Christ for all. Right. The next article is Christ for you. That's, ju- that's subjective justification. That is, all of this is yours personally through faith. But, but before you say that, you have, to, you have to have Christ for all. So what he, what he does once, he does once for all. And so he is the sacrifice for all other sins, or the way Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 5, he was made sin for us who knew no sin. So Christ literally becomes, he embodies every sin of every sinner in the world without exception. Yeah. I, I love the, uh, the, the picture um, when the Israelites are in the wilderness and they're being bitten by snakes because God's good and ticked at them. And uh, Moses is told to lift up the serpent on the pole. And everyone who looks at it will be saved. And Jesus is now the serpent on the pole for us. And the New Testament talks about this. And he, it's interesting. The snakes are the things that kill you. But if you look at the snake, it saves you. And here is the perfection of God in Christ Jesus. That perfect law will kill us. And yet Christ is here as the fulfillment of the law. 
and looking to him in faith certainly saves us. You have yeah, I, that, that, that bronze serpent is a classic example of the cure looks like the disease. Yeah. Because, because what was killing them? Snakes, fire snakes. Yeah. And what, is, what does God tell Moses to do? Make, make a bronze model of one and raise it up on the pole. And so Christ on the cross is our sin. To look at him is to see the full sinfulness of humanity embodied in a human being. Right. And it ain't a pretty sight. And that goes back to what you just said. He who knew no sin became sin for us. Right. So we might be the righteousness of God. That's right. And so you, you, have, you have then the end. The other way that this works is, well, how do you, well, what's the cure for snake bite? Snake venom. Yeah, the, the, the actual venom. Something has to be exposed <laughs> to the venom and live. Right. And, and it's, in, it's in the one who, is, who, who has developed an immunity toward the, the, the venom. Yeah, it's the antibodies. Well, it's, yeah, and so it's, it's the anti, anti-venom to the venom. And, and that's what Christ has become for us. He's actually taken the sting of death and survived it. He rose from the dead. Right. So he's, he's gone through death. The wages of our sin, and uh, like Paul says, that the sting of death is sin, and the power, the venom of sin is the law. And so Christ has taken this upon himself and has conquered by his dying and rising. So he becomes for us the anti-venom of the sting of, the, the sting of sin, hmm. which is the law. It's that, that's, that's the venom. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Which kind of, that that brings the Lord's Supper into kind of a new frame then, too. You know, you're kind of taking into yourself the anti-venom. Yeah, I was just thinking that, and I was thinking also confession and absolution in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. is is kind of like that also. Yeah, you're you're hearing the word, you're eating and drinking the body and blood of the one who who conquered death by dying and rising. He didn't simply survive death, he actually went through it and conquered it. Yeah. And and so and and now he he's he's basically holding our human nature on the other side of the resurrection. Hmm. <clears throat> Fascinating. So, something people you know we just finished celebrating Ascension Day. Some people kind of miss that. And and the 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 uh, the the Augsburg Confession notes this that the same Christ, true God and true man, descended into hell, rose from the dead on the third day, ascended into heaven, and sits on the right hand of God. Notice it's all active. It's all, it's all in the, the exaltation part of things. So he takes our humanity to the depths of hell. He shows our humanity risen from the dead for 40 days. He raises it uh, to the majesty of the right hand of God. And, uh, and, and all of this he does as true God and true man. And when, when this program airs, we'll be a week or two past uh, Holy Trinity Sunday, where we'll get all this in spades with the Athanasian Creed. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, so yeah, that, that'll work out well. Um, and then we go into a third article, too, that through the Holy Spirit, in his rule and dominion over all creatures, he may sanctify, purify, strengthen, and comfort all who believe in him, and may bestow on them life and every grace and blessing. And so, so you know, the, the Holy Spirit is not another agent of God, but the Holy Spirit continues the, uh, the work of Christ as Christ bestows his spirit on the church. Pentecost is coming up uh, to deliver all of his gifts and to, uh, to call, gather, enlighten, sanctify, and keep his people. Well, so there's only one piece of unfinished business left. What's that? He will return openly to judge the living and the dead. Ah, uh, yeah, we get to talk about this now. Um, we, as Lutherans, tend to be what's called amillennialists. 
we believe Jesus. I don't, I don't like that, that. Well, you don't have to. That, uh, that's, that's a label other people pin on us. Well, let me put it this way. We're realized millennialists. We, we believe that Jesus will come back again for his church. He will judge the world. And beyond that, we don't want to say a whole lot. Don't have a whole lot to say. <laughs> What's that got to do with the millennium? Well, yeah, that's the thing is that there are those who are kiliastic, there's a good word for you, who believe in the millennium uh, that the thousand-year reign of Christ, as mentioned in, where is that, Revelation or is it First Thessalonians? Revelation 20. There you go. And, uh, and but but let, let me hasten. I need to hasten. There's urgency there because we're probably running out of time. Yeah, we got to add that it it does not speak of a thousand year reign of Christ. It speaks of a thousand year reign of the saints with Christ. Right, right. Yeah. Good call. Good yeah. call. Uh, but well, Christ rules. We rule with him. But we we recognize that the Book of Revelation is written in poetic language. We understand that it's not to be taken ultra literally. That uh, there uh, probably won't be locusts the size of helicopters flying around and seven headed <laughs> beasts rising out of you know and all this kind of it's stuff. It's a comic book. Everything is done in comic <laughs> it's, it's book. It's a terms. vision. It's a vision for yep. crying out loud. So. We confess that Christ is coming back as to a seven-year tribulation, a secret rapture, and all that stuff. Yeah, it's kind of been invented in recent years more than anything. Actually, it's been around since the early church. The secret rapture? No, chiliasm and millennialism yeah. and, and all kinds of other things. That, but, but speculations have been, been of that have been going on since since the earliest times. Premillennial dispensationalism in oh, its gosh. current mode oh. is really only about 150 years old. Oh, see now you lost me. There you uh, go. The the uh, hey, once I grew you get up into this the, stuff, the pre, post, and mid, and and all this this stuff. That's it. For 26 years, I grew up with this stuff, and I never understood it. Do you know? It never made sense. Do you? Because it kept changing on yeah me. right that's right always <laughs> shifting with the headlines do, do you know where the thousand years comes from what the allusion to that is well a thousand is a perfect number to the jews right uh, not perfect but well, it's complete in, right. in the sense but but it's it's actually the largest number imaginable at right. the time uh it, it, we don't do it we don't do it that way today because otherwise we'd never have a federal budget <laughs> Trillion is our new largest number. Oh, oh yes, we have, we, have, we have mail delivery and... Uh, hey! This is a little bit like the teachers at the preschool where the teachers make more noise trying to quiet the kids than the kids actually do themselves. <laughs> I'm a helicopter dad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you clearly are. No, he would have kept barking for three minutes uh, who cares? if I didn't stop him. <laughs> Get me on track. Uh, uh, the, the thousand number of thousand. Where did the thousand years? Why, why come we from? don't do that? You know what we need now Here's is where it comes. What number is bigger than a trillion? Yeah. A cotillion? I don't know. I'm starting to lose my aliens after that. But here's here's the deal. The rabbis said that just as the world was created in six days, and there is a Sabbath, a day a day of rest. And as a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as a day. So it would be 6,000 years to the coming of Messiah from the creation, and then there would be a sabbatical rest of a thousand years. They meant this entirely figuratively. Okay. 
see? And so, so the whole idea is that Christ having come, and this is what John is, 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 is capturing here in, in Revelation 20, is that the, the, the death, resurrection, and ascension, particularly the ascension, because the ascension is the key element in the Revelation, Revelation 4 and 5, Christ enthroned. The lamb takes his seat and, and opens the scrolls. You know, he alone is worthy to open the scrolls. But this is, this is now the inauguration of that seventh, that seventh day of, of, of redemptive history. It's, it's the time when God has nothing more to do, and so he just hangs out and enjoys what he did. So there's nothing more to do. Christ has worked the salvation of the world. There is literally nothing more to do. And so, so the whole creation rests in a cosmic sabbatical until Christ appears with the new creation. Have you seen Kim Riddleberger's book on this? No. It's actually excellent. It's, it's, he grew up like I did, you know, and, and uh, he was tortured by this stuff. And uh, he's done quite a lot of work on all of this and it, it really is exceptional i have to loan you my copy now now you know of course this is not to say that 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 there might not be a thousand year period in this in this final uh this this end times the neat thing about prophecy is you don't know it until after it's happened <laughs> and so yeah, i'm more than willing to retool the whole thing if at the end it's a you know doggone it there it is but but the revelation is is a typological kind of book it, it's right. it's it's setting a pattern it's not it's not uh, predicting future things in the way you you know what you were describing well uh, we talk about eschatology and it's time outside of time but unfortunately in this world we live within time are we out of time which means we're out of time oh no <laughs> jesus is a friend of mine jesus is my friend jesus is a friend of mine i have a friend in jesus jesus is a friend of mine jesus is my friend jesus is a friend of mine He taught me how to live my life as it should be. He taught me how to turn my cheek when people 